You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to You Can't Say That. I'm Tanya Pinkins, and I'm speaking with Donnie Repshar, author of Woke Supremacy. You know, it's it's been interesting to talk to people at, um, who are w- working for um, these institutions d- while I was um, putting this this essay together, um, because as I was reading these books, the 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 responses I would get are, you know, oh, I should read that, you know, but what they meant is, oh, like when I have free time, when I'm at home, I will read this for me, um, but. But I could tell that what they what they did not mean is let me figure out what this actually means for my work. You know, mm. like let me let me know more about what racism looks like for my life. But but it, but it is separate from the how we carry racial bias at work. And and this um, this particular essay um, that you mentioned that that was written in Howl Round. Um, I, I think it is about naming racial bias in our workspaces, um, and I think that is the first step. The, the second step is engaging. naming, and I think we've all named it. We know it's there. Like you know, most of the institutions are run by one melanation. But I think it. What's important is that white people are naming it in other white people because these institutions are the, the meetings that happen that keep these organizations are running are still predominantly white. Well, but that's because the resources come from there. Like I, I, I sat on an advisory board for an organization and we had a meeting about raising money. And the bottom line message was people give money to people they know. So if you're going to an organization and asking for a grant or for some funding, they're going to go to everybody in their organization and go, do you know them? Do you know them? And if you don't have a relationship with somebody, they're just not going to give you the money. Right. So since the resources are predominantly in the hands of people who are non-melanated, the resources are going to keep going to those people unless you have someone who exceptionally is deciding I'm investing in something else. And generally, it's an investment. Right. But but once you have that money, it's about, I, I think it, it, you're still having to figure out what to do, what you're putting on your stage and how you are um, how you are hiring. Uh, and I think it, those are the, the conversations that I'm talking about where the, the, we have to, so, okay, for instance, I was having a conversation with a human resources director who was working with a, a hiring manager in a, in a department to hire an entry-level position. And the, the this human resources director 
made the effort to take a look at to present the hiring manager with a as diverse a body of candidates as possible. And then she presented this portfolio of candidates to the hiring manager and said, now you choose the best candidate. And you, you, you don't have to guess that this person chose two overqualified white women from this diverse body of candidates. And she was saying, what do I do? Because this hiring manager is saying, well, we can keep looking for non-white women, or we can fill this position. And I think that that is, it, it's it's those moments where, you know, th this person is hiring a a very trainable job. Um, the, these people are coming from, you know, they have they have 18 apprenticeships at, you know, all of the major institutions. And 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 so we think, well, we have to go with the best candidate, but what we're not naming is that what we mean by best candidate is um, the the white candidate that's going to make us feel comfortable, and I think it's it's naming racial bias in those instances, and and going to the hiring manager and saying, no, we have to keep looking because the the um, the diversity of perspective that a non white non female um, will bring to our staff will far at, outlast the experience at roundabout that this person is incorporating into this I, workforce. I definitely agree with you about that, but I think that that is that the step of hey, did you happen to notice that you had this pile of six people and <laughs> yeah. of the six there were four that were you know non white and you happened to pick the two white. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. is it an accident? Were you even aware that you did that? Right. What happens if we pull them out? If right. we pull them out of the pool, who are you going to pick? Right. Let's go with those. What do you think of that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yes. I do think you you got to figure out, you know, how do you not shame the person who's done it because they also are biased and unconsciously and don't know. Um, but then that's another uncomfortable conversation. It's uncomfortable yes. for the HR person to have to call out, I guess, their boss about something like that. So it's for me, it's so much about learning to be uncomfortable, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's true, and and I think we there are so there are organizations and consulting professionals that are doing this kind of anti-racist facilitation with arts organizations. Is it anti-racist or is it just pro-humanist? Uh, yes, agreed. <laughs> um, but I think but I think we are we have a ton of language um, that. Um, sort of fosters awareness and and I think that is the kind of work that these these consulting organizations are doing um, inside organizations so that that you don't have this uncomfortable dynamic between two people where one person is naming racial bias and the other person is saying I don't agree with you or you know or whatever um, but it is it is giving um, everybody language to identify it for themselves. Yeah, language. Language is so complicated because words mean different things to different people. Yes. And, you know, you can read a book or you can Twitter about something <laughs> and it doesn't really change things. I feel like it is definitely about uncomfortable um, communications between people that are like right now, like two people crunchy, crunchy, crunchying together till they can come to an agreement to disagree even. Yeah. Um, one of the challenges I have with my students often is I, I want them to work on Alex Wilson because I think it's classic material. Yeah. And uh, they will say, well, you know, that's that would be misappropriating and people would be mad at me because I'm like, you're in school. You're paying a lot of money. This is place. some of the finest language in the world. You should want to sink your teeth into this 
and they, they, there's still total resistance. And I'm like, instead of you making a choice to do something that you think is going to avoid an uncomfortable situation, why don't you try to engage with the person who is challenging your ability to do this supposedly racist thing mm. and say, what is it about it? Mm -hmm. Because what really is needed is for people to go deeper and you got to go through discomfort to get deep. I mean, I personally risk all the time asking people what their ancestry is. I try to frame it not like asking you where'd you come from because you could be from America, but what's your ancestry? Because I'm curious and I'm willing to step my foot down my throat for the sake of having a deeper, real connection with somebody. Because if I've already messed up and you know insulted them, they get to call me on it and I'm already in a vulnerable place. Yeah. And so I can be open. It's something I consciously do. Yeah. Um, I, I, your, your point about the way that we sort of avoid these conversations, um, I, I see it also in the way that we uh, in the casting decisions that we are we're making about who how we're representing our stories on stage, and I think what I've noticed is that people just don't want to make a mistake. You know, they 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 want it's not it's less about having a vision for a particular show, and it's it is more about how do we not step in it. You know, right? It's about avoiding messing up, avoiding looking stupid, avoiding being ashamed. Yeah, yeah, and. And, you know, like the, I, I, we are the arts, we are the artists and we have to, we have to be the tastemakers. Somebody has to be a tastemaker. Somebody has to. Why have does somebody a, have to be a tastemaker? I, we, I don't know what else we're doing in our artistry if we are not giving something for people to look at. I, I, if we don't have a vision for the the art that we are creating, I'm not sure what it is that we're doing, other than you know engaging in well, a capitalist structure to to make money in the arts. Well, that's one thing you're doing, but you're also preserving your culture as the standard culture and making sure it's going to continue on yeah, as the normalized true. culture. Maybe you that's know, it's true. about sustaining a legacy. Yeah. As opposed to disrupting your legacy, but the problem is that the culture is changing, and so how uh, how adaptive are we um, to to um, staying sort of on the front lines of how the culture is changing? Well, I think of that with West Side Story, and I, you <laughs> yeah. know, I love West Side Story and the fact that Ivan Van Hove is to me acknowledging the fact that we are a screen culture. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're a screen culture. It's true. And so he is merging screens and live theater because that is the future. And if you want to get younger people in the room, because of the people who've traditionally, you know, kept Broadway afloat, you gotta you gotta recognize the screen culture. It's true. And I was <clears throat> I heard about um there were people who were complaining, they got to their seats um and and watched the first act and they at intermission they went. Or the, is there an intermission? At, no, at, no intermission. At some point, they they uh, approached the box office staff and they were like, I can't see everything that's happening on stage. Um, you should have told me this was partial view. I shouldn't be paying a full price ticket. And, you know, the, the conversation is like, no, you are, you are, you're seeing exactly what you're supposed to see. But, it, but, but you're right. I think the, we are, yeah, the, the experience is on the stage and the, the experience is in the room. And we are commenting on, you know, a culture that is changing. Um, so yeah, I look forward to seeing it. I haven't seen it yet. Oh. My husband has seen it and he loves it. I loved it. I've seen it twice and spontaneous standing ovation every time. It's, wow. um, that's so cool, but it's, it's definitely not the 
West Side Story of Natalie Woods that I certainly grew up on. It's not that. And I think that what is exciting to me about that production is that I think as a European, he's making a comment on American racism in that he's taken it instead of it's, you know, white people and brown people. He's saying it's Americans and immigrants and letting Puerto Rico be an immigrant, you know, as if that's not America. And the the actors all look just alike. Yeah. You know, they yeah. look alike. So it's just people who look just like the same people attacking each other. And right. that is what I love about that production. Yeah. And, you know, and it's it's causing a lot of controversy too, but to your earlier point, I think we have to, I think we have to engage in the discomfort of what this play is bringing about. And there is no one answer to how to have an experience at West Side Story. Um, And, and I think people want one way to think about this. And there isn't because people, a lot of people are having a really profound experience in that theater. Um, But, but we should also be taking to task the, the people in power who are making decisions um, that are making people feel excluded from that theatrical experience. And I think it's all part of the same conversation. But but to your point, I think we should be moving towards the discomfort of that conversation so that we can we can actually have real conversations about it as opposed to saying, well, I guess I don't like it because the, they, they cast, you know, this problematic person. <laughs> this problematic person. I guess I know what you're talking about. We'll just be, we'll be discreet about what that is. Or how old are you? Uh, I just turned 30 last week. Oh, you're not a Gen Z, are you? No. What are Gen Zs? I don't know where the cutoff is. Oh, Alan's going to find out for us where the Gen Z is, but you're not a Gen Z. No. So I got three questions for you. Yeah. It's Gen Z is a group of kids, teens, and young adults roughly between the ages of 7 and 22. Mm. Oh, okay. So I got, a, I got a couple of Gen Zs, and my children are Gen Zs. Um, here's three questions. Yeah. Who are you? What is needed and how do you serve? Mm. Who are you? My name is Donnie Repture. Um, the, I guess the American way to answer that question is, uh, is to respond with what I do. Um, I, um, I am a professional fundraiser. I work in the arts. Um, I, I work specifically in theater. Um, I, I am an, uh, I fundraise with individuals um, as opposed to with foundations and and so I um, I, I, I have a particular um, uh, responsibility uh, as an ambassador on behalf of the the arts institutions I work for um, to to f- frame what it is that is valuable about this work and I really enjoy being in that position to have conversations about this is why this work is meaningful and to meet people at um, at that same um, intersection uh, to to hear people uh, share why why this work is meaningful to them because you know I so I work at New York City Center and we revive we have a our most popular musical theater program is called Encores and we revive golden age musicals um any musical that we've presented at least while I've been working there um is the first time I'm I'm seeing the show and it's the first time that I'm I'm really ever knowing anything about it um and so it's 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 difficult sometimes to uh, be the people that I'm meeting have a, a profound experience because they they were around when the show originated, um, and so I'm I'm doing a lot of listening in in this current role, 
um, and and framing why the artists are coming together to to revive this piece at this time. Um, and the answer is always because you know, the, first and foremost, because there is this fabulous um, encore's orchestra. Uh, playing the music like um, you would never hear it otherwise because it is commercially unviable. What's uh, needed? <laughs> It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. What is needed? My mind is spinning um, because I think as it pertains to our industry, um, I think I think a, a through line, at least for this conversation, is that I think what is needed is is to to be more engaged in the things that make us uncomfortable because because what we're doing is the the Our, the the shells between the the identity that we've constructed and the the rest of the world are starting to rattle, and and I think once once we start sort of piece by piece taking these shells away and and engaging in what is, it is that is making us uncomfortable, suddenly we have access to the rest of the world, um, and I think that's how um, cultures move forward, and that's how we expand as human beings. Agreed. How do you serve? I think I'm still f figuring that out. I, I, I think, you know. So I've, I've, life lasts a long time, God willing, and I've, um, I've served in a number of capacities. I, I got an acting de degree in college. Um, I moved to New York City because I knew that um, live theater is where I, I wanted to make a living. I. I started a, um, a development career five years ago, um, and I'm very grateful for the experience that I've had. And um, the, the end of my, my master's work was to, to write something that I, um, I feel very proud of and I feel like um, is tapping into something that I would also love to explore about how to communicate in this way um, and how to, um, to put, um, put ideas in, of mine and a perspective of mine um, into the community in a, in a new way. And so I, I'm, I'm still, I, I don't quite know the answer to that question. Okay. Um, but it is, a, it is about sort of moving forward. Um, yeah. 
That's what I got. So listening to that, a question that came up for me, you said you raise money from individuals. Yeah. So just, you know, what do you think? <laughs> if I, just yeah, not Tanya Pinkins, Tony Award winner, you know, my brown being has to call, talk to these individuals. Are you in person or are you on the phone? Um, it's, it's both. Um, that- so my brown body, are they going to give me money like they're going to give you money? Um, are you... <laughs> In this situation, are you the artist in the show? No, I'm you. You are, you are I have me. your job, but I'm brown and I'm a woman. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I do a lot of my job is about making people feel comfortable, mm. um, and uh, it's uh, it's it's been an interesting moment at City Center because we are undergoing a leadership change. Mm. Um, Lear Debassene is is taking over for Jack Vertel um, in the Encores program, and and sh- and Lear is asking a lot of critical questions about what it means to present these musicals uh, today. That um, you know, that Encores originated as a concert series, and. Um, the, the level of production is increasing in such a way that we are basically presenting um, um, full productions and, and therefore have to stand behind full productions of, of musicals that, that don't have the language that we have today. Um, and, and yet people, there are people who are our uh, largest supporters um, who, who want to experience them the way that they did however many years ago. Right. And they so, want a nostalgic experience. That's what they're paying for. Yeah. And, and so it's been, it, we've, we've had a lot of conversations about what it means to ask critical questions in this way. And a lot of the, the responses I'm hearing are, why do you, like, the world is changing, but musical theater shouldn't have to. Ooh. And... Well, how, that's a that's a hard thing to to you know to th- that's a hard space to enter in at like 10 a.m. on a Monday morning when people are you know you're calling someone to renew their encore subscription. Um, but it, but it, the the most concise way that I have been able to present this is that w- the all we are trying to do is make people who otherwise felt excluded from a piece of theater feel more it, we're inviting them into the room um but the 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 thing that you love about this the the score the, the score is the center of the theatrical experience at least we're creating um at city center that is the thing that you can come in and uh, get to relive um yeah but like oklahoma there was no black people why do i have to go see oklahoma with black people <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, yes Yes to all of well, that. Well, come on, convince me to, to renew. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, but but I, I don't want to make light of it because it takes a lot of work and it takes. I I want to know how you do it. Well, it's hard to it's hard to um, be hypothetical about Oklahoma because I've only seen it once. And I've I, never I, seen it at all, but I, I mean, I know it's got <laughs> black people in it. Yeah, uh, but the the first experience I had was actually this this production um, when I started at St. Anne's, um, and it threw me for a loop, honestly, because I. Um, I was having to, I, I feel like I was having to watch both versions of the show. I was having to watch um, the Oklahoma as it's um, historically been presented. And then I got to see sort of the, all of the, the um, of Daniel Fish's sort of in, interpretive elements to this piece. And so um, I, I, all that to say, hypothetically, I don't, I, I don't know how to engage ab- about Oklahoma specifically. But, but, but here, I'm going to say something specifically. There's just never, there's very few places in America 
where there weren't some other people of color, Asian people, Mexican people. So, I mean, isn't it arguable to say that, well, when they made that show and they didn't have any other people in it, that was a fake world. Yeah, right. <laughs> the world actually of that play didn't exist. But, you know, like Woody Allen's New York doesn't have any people of color in it for the most part. That New York doesn't really exist. Maybe, his, maybe it does for him. Maybe he gets to isolate himself. But is that an argument that would work? Or they'd be like, nah, they don't care about that. Right. They just want their memory. Right. Yeah, the responsibility we have as theater makers is that we don't, um, the, the movies live in the, we are seeing what they made when they made it. Um, and that is the, that, the artifact that persists um, indefinitely. But when, when we are, um, as theater makers, we are creating something that an audience will come in with, um, e their ears are set to 2020, their ears are not set and their eyeballs are not set to in the, in the time in which it was written, and so we we have a responsibility to to meet the, our audiences at them and ask questions like this. We uh, we if if a if a piece uh, was not written with any people of color and um, and we choose to present it, I think we have to ask: Are are we staying true to that, or do we have an opportunity um, to? To, to think at a higher plane and say, how do we tell the story for what it means, um, for how it could resonate in, in 2020 in the, in the New York City that we know? So here's the tough question. Let's go. You know, I feel like there's a, a sort of ease that can happen to take a, a show and put it in a, a lens where people are homosexual. We're about to see it in company. Yeah. But I think that that's because the people with money and power tend to be white male homosexuals who could either be out or be in, yeah. but they're in positions of power so that they can say yes to that. And they could say yes and still stay in the closet. Yeah. But the point to me is that if people who are Asian or Native American or Mexican or what other South Asian uh, don't get to be in those positions of power, they can't push through art that reflects other cultures that they're aware of or even a part of. Mm -hmm. That's true. You might have to lose your job. What's the question? Somebody might have to take your job. What's the question? Somebody might have to take your job, but you're saying I might not be able to get the money like you oh, can get the money because I, I can't make people comfortable. I see. <laughs> someone someone might have to take my job as, um, as a fundraiser or as... Um, uh, uh, someone making artistic decisions. Yeah, it's making artistic decisions. Somebody else might have to take your job. It's true. Listen, I think I think we are long overdue for a great reckoning. Um, I I am fully on board. But does that, that mean that the, all the money's going to collapse because we're going to like, well, if the theater isn't going to look like what I remember or what I want to see, I'm not giving you my money. So there's not going to be any theater. I say, how exciting! I uh, <laughs> yes, let's. A, call, a, a friend of mine, uh, we we joke. It's like uh, burn it down. Start all over. You know, I think, um, yeah, I think we've got a lot of work to do and we could either um, fix our institutions from the inside. Um, and, you know, if if history is any precedent, it's, it's going to take a very long time. Um, but yeah, what does that look like to start again? I mean, you know, I, I, I don't foresee that happening, but um, but I'm interested in having that conversation because I think it I think it touches on the truth of what it is that we're up against. And what is your best hope before we burn it down? <laughs> um, 
I don't know. I, I think I think we we start listening to to the geniuses that are around us. You know, the the people who are pointing towards change that we don't yet have a framework for. Um, I think I think we we start listening to them. And historically, geniuses don't get listened to till after we've killed them. It's true. <laughs> So burn it down. Burn it down. Damn, start that Galileo again. was right. Yeah, that right. Copernicus was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Donnie, thank you so much yeah, thank for you. having this conversation with me. Yeah, thank you. Oh. <laughs> I'm Tanya Pinkins, and you can't say that. Thanks for listening to You Can't Say That, the show where you can. I'm Tanya Pinkins, and You Can't Say That is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Derek Gunther, with music by Kat Dale. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast highly wherever you stream. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Tanya Pinkins. And to learn more, visit B pn dot fm forward slash y c s t stay safe hey it's leslie udom jr here on the broadway podcast network to tell you about the rise theater directory a program of maestro music rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds if you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.